another episode of Just a Quick Pinch. I'm your host, Connie Wang. Alrighty, you guys. So uh, I am today. I am but a mere mortal. Your girl might sound a little sniffly, and that is because if you guys know me, I think I've talked about this many a times on this podcast. If you guys know me, you know I am a victim with a capital V of seasonal allergies. Um, today, well, what happened today? Today I uh, stepped out of the apartment into the outside world. So that that is enough reason for me to get seasonal allergies. I'm literally so sensitive. If literally even like one flower bud. One little bubble bee is pollinating one little flower. That's like enough to get me sneezy. Also, I'm pretty sure I wore a very dusty sweater today. So that is just like the ultimate recipe for sniffles, which is why I might sound like a little bit off. Um, It's just so funny how year after year I am humbled by pretty little flowers. So anyways... For today's main episode, I'm so excited, you guys. We are back with one of our good friends on this show for the third time. Yes, the third time. Miss Masha Kay, the incredible nervous system coach. She is the best. And we thought this would be the perfect time of year to discuss how to make success sustainable. Uh, She basically, if you guys haven't caught up on her other episodes with us, you should definitely check her out. She's been on two times before this. She really just specializes in helping high achievers, such as all of us listening to this. Um, How to help us really regulate our nervous system and function from a place and succeed from a place that's a lot healthier than what we're used to or what we think we should be functioning from. So um, she's just so great. And I thought this was really relevant for what a lot of us might be going through, whether it's the changing of the seasons, career changes, or for me personally, senioritis and burnout. So we we discuss a little bit about that. But first things first, we got our hot girl huddle. So hit it editing, Connie. Alrighty, you guys. So healthcare horoscopes of the week. We got our tarot pull. Let me just get the cards out of the deck for us. Alrighty, you guys. So the card of the week for the week of April 10th, 2023 is the two of pentacles upright. Alrighty, you guys. The words of the week are multiple priorities, time management, ambulances running through the city during my recording. Thank you very much. Uh, Prioritization and adaptability. Okay. All right. This is upright. So when the two of pentacles appears in a tarot reading, it's safe to say you are juggling your priorities, roles, and responsibilities. In the upright position, this card notes that you are doing an excellent job of balancing these different priorities. But this also reminds you that the line between coping with these demands and losing them is thin. You need to manage your time, energy, and resources carefully so that you do not lose your balance. Actually, you know what? I feel like this is pretty relevant because I just realized this made me remember I have to just still do my taxes, which... Dad, if you're listening, I'm sorry. Um, I am on it ASAP. I will get my taxes done in time for uh, tax day next week. But God, every year tax day comes and I'm kind of just like, why is this a thing? This feels like extra homework as an adult. Like this is literally adult homework that like, why do we all have to do this? Why can't the world figure out some way where like us working people don't have to do our taxes? I mean, I guess like some people get accountants and stuff. I don't really understand the logistics of it all. Anyways, um, yeah, I need to. Me and TurboTax have a hot date later at some point. Anyways, that is it for the healthcare horoscopes of the week. Now on to my ins and outs, my eyes and O's of the week. Alrighty, you guys. So for my eyes and O's, my ins and outs of the week. So my in of the week. You guys know how like two episodes ago I said I wanted to be a girl who hiked? 
Okay, so I found like another character trait that really complements that. And now I'm a girl who makes her own hummus. Yes, that is me, the hummus and hiking girl. Uh, hummus or making hummus, I guess, is just such a therapeutic activity because it's so much fun. You just like add stuff to a blender and you just like measure with your heart. And it's, it's like making this like magical, delicious potion. Um, honestly, I feel like with cooking in general, you just measure with your heart. But with this specifically, I realized I really like to cook like this where you just adjust as you go based on taste. It feels really creative. You add a little bit of chickpea and then you add a little bit of lemon and then you add a little bit of garlic. Taste it. Um, it's literally like so simple. Just five ingredients. Chickpeas, lemon juice, tahini, garlic. I think that's it. And salt and pepper. And like cumin if you want. Like it's literally so easy. Also, this is partially why I did it, but not entirely. So apparently store-bought hummus is actually kind of bad for you because of like all the sodium and the gums that they put in it. Whereas it was really cool to see how the hummus that I made at home actually tasted like just as good, if not so much better than the store-bought. And yet I could count the amount of ingredients like literally on my hand, which is like cool that I know exactly what's going into it. I feel like such a like millennial mom that's like, oh, I want to make my own baby food and like know what's going in it, you know? But like, I, I get it. I get it. I understand like why that's fun. So yeah, anyways, my next character development is like a girl that makes her own hummus. I just, I feel like it really complements the hiking girly who has yet to take her second hike since I last spoke about this. But yeah, that's my end of the week. And then my out of the week is... So this past week, I was looking through my closet for dresses to wear to like upcoming weddings and graduation things, like end of the year stuff. And I realized I have a problem because I really suck at buying things that I will actually wear. Like I realized I have no problem buying things. Let me let me tell you, I have no problem buying things. But when it comes to actually wearing the things that I buy, I realize I buy things where like there's always one thing wrong with them that ultimately makes me just like never wear the dresses. So they just sit there in my closet and collect dust, which is so frustrating. So like... Anyways, all this is to say, like, don't buy something unless it's perfect and you genuinely know that you will wear it because I feel like when I'm looking through my closet and I'm looking at all these dresses, these are all things that I bought either because they were on sale and I'm like, oh, it's a good price for a trendy item, but the trend is already, like, done. Or, like, sometimes, a lot of times, I'll get something because it's, like, really, 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 really close to a trendy thing that I like and I'm like, oh, it's, like, close enough. But then it's, like, never really close enough so then I never actually wear it or, like, maybe it, like, almost fits me just right but, like, I have to wear a jacket over it and, like, that's, like, a whole thing and it's something that I never end up actually doing. So, anyways, long story short, I just need to be more choosy about just buying something only if I truly love it and it's, like, quote-unquote perfect and there's no changes I would make and there's nothing better that I could find out there because if I still think that there's, like, a more perfect thing out there then I just, like, shouldn't buy it because otherwise it's just such a waste of money and space so I need to like Marie Kondo like my closet and just clean out anything that I don't wear because it is just taking up space and yeah that's just that is all I have this week for my out my ins and outs of the week now on to the last segment of hot girl huddle before the main episode we have spit talk Alrighty, guys okay so for spit talk I feel like I manifested like something really good pertaining to jobs this week and I feel like a big part of it was getting clear on what makes me happy. So I wanted to share this tactic with you guys, this little journal exercise that I did recently that really helped me out and cured my Sunday scary. So if you follow me on Instagram, you would have already seen this. But let me just like reiterate like why it helps so much. So basically it's four easy parts. I just like randomly came up with this and I started like putting together prompts and I feel like the sequence and the order that I ended up with was really good. So I want you guys to try this out. If you feel like you maybe burn burned out or like not living life like enjoying your life recently I don't know or I don't know just give this a try so the first part is you just jot down everything good that happened last week literally just like quick bullet point this should take less than a minute 
Then part two is in sentence form. Synthesize why you think each of these things made you happy. So for example, one of my bullet points for part one was a good thing that happened was I wrote, I had fun filming for our senior skit video. And then for part two of describing in sentence form why it made me happy, I said this made me happy because I really enjoyed goofing off and having fun acting and being silly in that video. So that's part one and two. Then for part three, go a step further and write down what that moment really meant for you and like what the feelings and experiences you're like actually tapping into and achieving. So for my example with the whole acting and the senior skit thing, I said... Therefore, what this really means is that I need to integrate more play and being goofy and silly and having fun into my everyday life. Um, and then lastly, for part four, now we just take it that extra oomph, that extra step, and we look into the week ahead and see what opportunities or spaces and times in our week ahead that we have to intentionally try to recreate these feelings and experiences that you want to have. So basically, it's all about just like finding out like what actually makes you tick and feel authentically whole and happy. And then you boil that down and you kind of like think about it a little bit more like, what does this actually mean? What am I actually searching for? What do I actually want in my life? And then you just be more intentional about like integrating it into your future. So yeah, I just feel like that gave me a lot of clarity. And I realized today when I had a really good experience, I feel like I manifested it because looking back, like it, it, every single point that I said that I wanted to find, I like found. And I think that the magic of this activity, it's not actually about like bringing things out of into life out of thin air it's about just getting clear on like what kind of a life you want to live every day because like when you look back like every day as you face it just feels so long and like not connected but then when you look back you'll see like how you live your life is really made up of like the little things like the little day-to-day -day things so if you could just be more intentional about how you spend your every day I feel like that's how you really like craft a life that you're happy with so anyways try that out and let me know what you think that is all I have this week for the hot girl huddle one last thing for you guys. So if you guys feel like today you're listening to this episode and you're like, wow, this sounds incredible. This really hits like the nail on the head. This is exactly what I'm going through and what I need more help with and what I want to learn more about. Masha is actually super generous and she's giving you guys, my listeners, my pinchers, a special pincher discount. I'm so excited. So if you guys want to, you know, give her coaching a try, um, you guys can actually experience a one-on-one -on -one at a super like supremely discounted price. Um, listen until the very end to hear what the discount is i'll also link it in like the show notes down below but yeah stay till the end of the episode to hear what exactly she has to offer for you guys and i'm just like so excited i hope that some of you guys really take her up on it because this is just it's just really like the key and like she says in the episode it's like that missing link to where you are and like where you're trying to go and yeah so anyways without further ado now on to the main episode Alrighty, you guys, I am so excited. We have Masha back for her third episode with us. Yay! She's my first guest I've ever had on three times because her advice and everything, just her knowledge is just that good. So welcome back, Masha. <laughs> Thank you. I am so excited to be here. I truly couldn't wait for this episode. As I was telling you, I was having kind of a crappy day and I was like, I need to do this episode. It's going to cheer me up. Oh my god, I, I felt the same way. I was like, I just know that talking to Masha is like really gonna help. We both think there's something in the air right now. Maybe it's like the full moon from last night. That's my take. I'm thinking it's the full moon because it's been a it's been a tumultuous few days. Is what yes, and it's not us. It's not us. We're just saying that. <laughs> Couldn't be us. Absolutely no. <laughs> not. It's astrology. 100%. Yeah. Um, so the main reason why I want to have you on today is because, you know, I think 
with where the time of the year it is springtime we're we're all ready for fresh starts at the same time we're all some of us are battling senioritis some of us are accepting new jobs things like that i think now is a really good time to discuss the topic of how to make success sustainable that's something that you've brought to my attention and something that you know like i think a lot of high achieving people like you know your typical audience member it's something that we don't really think about because we just hear the success and then we forget about the sustainability part we, we forget oh we have like a lifetime to be doing all this um so i was wondering first if you could just talk a little bit about like why is there this misconception that in order for us to have success, that it should be like in an unsustainable grind hustle culture way. Yeah. You know, I think there's, that's such a good question. I think there's so many reasons for this, right? I think it's A, it's what's portrayed to us. It's what we've always seen. And I think a big part of the answer is honestly like trauma. Let's like take that word out from the beginning, but it's trauma and our past experiences, right? And so if Mm -hmm. in the past our family lineage, past generations, our past experience, we've always had to like grind and hustle and make do with whatever we have because we didn't have all the tools. We didn't have all the needed support, right? If that's how we had to get by, then we tell ourselves, well, this is the only way. And the fact that I don't maybe feel as great, well, that's just how it is. That's just what success mm-hmm. is. It's almost kind of how we've explained it and like reasoned with ourselves, how we rationalized it with ourselves for why so many of us are successful, but then struggling or why we're successful, but we feel like we had to sacrifice so much, right? Like if we've never seen another way of doing it, mm. then we kind of take on the idea that, okay, this must be the only way. And in fact, we're going to make this a good thing. And so we're going to embrace and glamorize hustle and yeah. burnout, which is like what's happening in our culture. Right? That's really glamorized. And I feel like it was so ingrained in me that I almost felt like this is another thing that I struggle with. I feel like unless I worked hard for it, it's not worth it. It's not like desirable. Mm. And, and like, I didn't like, it, it'll mean less unless I suffer for it. Like, why is that, why do we feel like we have to punish ourselves like that? Like, I know you said it was generational, but like, at some point, how do you break that curse also? Yeah. Oh, there's so much to unpack there. And so like, let's just pause on what you said, because I think it's so important. And so many of us, so many high achievers, overachievers feel exactly like I hear this from clients all the time. I used to believe this myself, which is if I'm not suffering, that it's less meaningful. Yes. Like I need to suffer in order for it to be meaningful. That's what gives it meaning. Right. And here's the thing, giving meaning to pain and suffering and struggle is actually on its own, not a bad thing. Right. So like, Mm, I don't know, it's on my night on my desk right now, the book, a man's search for meaning. That's what it's about. It's written by Viktor Frankl. He's in a concentration camp. He creates this like form of psychology based on his experience there. And the whole book is about giving meaning to suffering, that when we give meaning to suffering, we can get through anything, right? And so on one hand, that's a good thing that you're able, you know, when you go through painful situations, that you're able to give it meaning. And I'm sure a part of that is probably what your parents are describing. They probably had Mm. to go through some serious hardships. And the way they found to survive that was by giving it some kind of meaning, right? And so on one hand, that in and of itself is not a bad thing. Where Mm -hmm. it becomes a problem is when you start to believe the only way to feel good about myself, the only way to feel successful is if I'm suffering. And so now I need to create suffering 
in order to feel successful, right? This is where the problem starts to happen. And where that comes from is often our childhoods, trauma, whether that's generational or own childhoods, where we never felt good enough. Just being who we are didn't feel good enough. Maybe that's because our parents had really high expectations. Maybe it's because we immigrated here and so we somehow felt behind. Whatever that may be, we didn't feel good enough. And that pain was so overwhelming that we didn't know what to do with it as kids, right? So how did we cope? If we didn't have any better tools or skills, often one way we find to cope is by becoming overachievers, Mm -hmm. right? Almost doing more and more and more. And then when we overachieve, meaning we go above and beyond to the point that we are draining ourselves in order to prove ourselves to others, to the world, to ourselves, to our parents, and we're struggling and exhausted, the way we explain that is, well, this just shows I'm really strong, right? We start giving it meaning. These things we Mm -hmm. had to do in order to survive, these things we had to do in order to feel a sense of worthiness and belonging, our nervous system starts to give it this meaning of like, yeah, that's because it has to be that way. And so now Mm. this like painful trauma response we've made into something that we've kind of like glamorized or glorified a little bit of like, yeah, this is a good thing about me. And don't get me wrong, to some degree, it is a strength when we're in a really painful situation, being able to overcome that, which is what a trauma response is. That's really remarkable. Our nervous systems are really brilliant. That's not a bad thing. The fact that we had a trauma response is not a bad thing. It's, It's really powerful. It's amazing. The problem becomes when we think that's the only way. Now that trauma response becomes like a part of our identity as a perfectionist, as an overachiever. And now you're like, well, I have to be this way always. This is the only way. When in reality, Mm -hmm. it's not the only way. That might have been the only way in your childhood. That truly might have been the only way you could feel worthy, feel like you belong, feel respected. Or, you know, maybe if we're talking about like our parents, like my parents who immigrated, right? Maybe they really did have have to do that in order to survive. But now they've made it into, well, this is just what has to happen across the board, not how I survived a painful situation. Does right. that make sense? Kind of like the thinking like, oh, it worked before. So it like, that's how it has to work. I, that is something that I also struggle with because sometimes I'll like knowing everything that you've already taught me, I'll be like, okay, I know that for my own well-being, it would be best if instead of grinding it out and working these extra hours that I go to a yoga class. But I almost feel like I have to prove to myself like that method will work where instead in my head, I'm like, oh, but I know I've proved again and again, I've proved again and again that if I grind really hard and overwork myself, that that's the path to success, not taking that extra yoga class. So like, there's kind of like fear involved because it's kind of like, I don't believe that yet. How do I get there. Yeah. Are you saying that you feel like on one hand, you're saying like, I want to take care of myself. I want to be better. I want to heal these trauma responses. I know they're not true. But on the other hand, you're like, well, I'm scared of not being successful. Like I still do want to be successful. Is that what I'm you're saying? scared? I think what it, I, I think I'm scared and insecure that if I don't put in the 10 hours of grinding or whatever, then I will not be successful. That that's why I'm successful is because I put in the extra time when no one else will or, you know, like whatever, like that. Yeah. So a couple of things of, cause you're saying like, okay, how do we start making the shift, right? We're kind of like diving into the, into the core of, of this work, right? Yeah. The first thing I'd want you to think about in those moments is understanding where is that overachieving tendency coming from kind of coming back to this idea that that is a coping mechanism. It's probably how you learn to survive as a child, right? Mm -hmm. Or at a young age, or maybe how your parents had to survive. 
And so when you could understand that and you're like, wait, if it's a trauma response or coping mechanism that I learned in response to pain and trauma, what's beneath that, right? Like a trauma response is a protective mechanism. It's protecting something, meaning there's some mm. kind of pain beneath that, right? And often what it comes down to for those of us that are overachievers is there's a part of me that doesn't feel good enough. There's a part of me that always feels like I need to do extra. I always need to be proving myself, I, right? I always need that. Yes. And so the first step is always recognizing like, ooh, is there a part of me in this moment, whatever the situation may be, that just doesn't feel good enough? Just like never so, feels like enough, doesn't feel worthy. Just even acknowledging the existence of, could this be a little bit more about me and how I feel about myself and how I've always felt about myself and a little less about the current situation, like this yoga class? So, okay, I have a question then because thinking about like my self-worth and like messages that like I got when I was a kid, looking back, like my parents were actually like very supportive of me. My, my parents are like my biggest cheerleaders, like my sister is like a huge supporter. I think when I look back, like little me might have interpreted situations and said to myself, oh, that means like they don't love me unless this or that. When really like on page, like in reality, I think they always did show me love because like I know them as people and I know them as parents and grandparents. Um, so kind of like, how do you kind of heal and rewrite your interpretations of your past? Because like, I wish I could go back and tell little Connie, like, oh, just because like this happened, it didn't mean that they didn't love you. Like, can I give mm -hmm. an example? So, okay, this is, like, such a silly example. My dad listens to my podcast, too, so he's going to be, like... <laughs> I, I hope this isn't embarrassing that I tell this story. So, basically, when I was little, I was sitting on my steps um, on our stairs watching my dad cut my sister's hair. And my dad, you know, being the great dad that he is, he was telling my sister, like, oh, you look so beautiful. You're going to be the prettiest girl at school. Like, the most gorgeous girl in the world. And so I was sitting on those steps and I just remember feeling such jealousy and being like, oh, he thinks she's number one. Like, I can't be number one, which is like so sad to think about. But I was I was just a girl, you know, I was like really young. Yeah. Um, and so I like ran upstairs. I like went in the shower and I put in like a million shampoos, body washes, everything into my hair. It became a jumbled mess. And my parents had to spend forever combing up my hair after. And I, I don't know if I ever explained this to them. And I don't know if like anyone asked, but like the reason why I like put in all those shampoos and whatever was because I thought like, oh, maybe that'll make me prettier. And like, like, so like little things like that, that's what I'm talking about. What I mean, like little me just really didn't interpret the situation. Like, of course they weren't trying to make me feel that way. They probably didn't even know that I was listening to things like that, yeah. but that kind of internalized programming has shaped, you know, so much of who I am. So like, but, but I know that they didn't intend. So how do I reframe that? Cause I don't want like any subconscious part of me to think any of those things. Yeah. So here's the thing. That was such a great example. And I really appreciate you sharing that because I think it helps people listening, understand like, what are these little things that really create yeah. this like lack of worthiness that we feel as adults. Right. And so you said it yourself. You're like, Oh, that, that really makes me sad. Right. Like I could feel it too, as you're describing that, like that little kid, a little girl feeling that way about herself. Right. Yeah. And so the, the answer to your question is almost to reframe it a little. It's not that you need to convince that little Connie that her dad did in fact think she was beautiful and equally as worthy. It's actually that you need to acknowledge that for whatever reason, that is the misconception that she got. That is the message she got. And that, that is the message and the weight she's been carrying. And mm. now it's not about telling her, oh, your dad did love you. It's about saying, hey, I love you. 
Like it's about you showing up for her and making her feel worthy. It's not about telling her, no, how you saw it was wrong. Denying her reality, whether your dad meant to do that or not, is not the point. Of course, intention, his intention was never that, but there's a huge difference between intention and impact, right? And the impact was that this little girl was really hurt and deeply impacted because as children, we don't have filters. We just kind of take, we're like sponges. We just absorb everything. We can't filter out that that's not logical. Right. Right. And so she took that on and fully believed it and then formed whole belief systems around that, that could now extend to work in all different areas of your life. Right. And so now the work isn't going back and rewriting history or to tell Mm -hmm. yourself like, that's not what he meant. Right. But that is how it landed. And if it landed that way and you're carrying that weight, now the work is acknowledging little Connie and saying to her, Hey, I know sometimes you don't feel pretty enough, or I know sometimes you don't feel good enough, but I love you. I'm here for you. It's about being the parent to her now, not about convincing her that her parents were good. This really has nothing to do with your dad. To right. Some extent at this point. Right. Like I'm sure it, it could have happened with anything, anyone. Also, it's kind of funny. This is like a side tangent, but okay. A dad, if you're listening, obviously I don't blame you for that at all. It's just like a funny story that I remember, but also yeah, and it's not that it fault at all. Yeah. If if anything, dad was being a very good dad to to my sister. Um, but you know, it's like, I cannot fathom how hard it must be to be a parent. Cause like, you don't think about these things that people are picking up that your kids, and then they grow up to be a certain way. Like, I can't imagine the things that my parents went through and they internalize and, you know, um, and it's like really beautiful and kind of like healing to heal to hear you say that the answer is actually within yourself. It's not about like rewriting the story I'm saying about someone else because that's very variable. Like instead, the most stable, I guess you could say, the most like reliable way is to start from like within and like be able to depend on myself. And I love that you picked up on that because that is what's so hopeful about when you understand what trauma really is. Trauma isn't the experience. It wasn't traumatic that your dad was having a conversation with your sister. That's not traumatic. What was traumatic was how you experienced it. Trauma is your lived experience of it. And Mm -hmm. that's a good thing for the exact reason that you said, because it's about my experience and I could work with that. That lives within me. It's not about what happened because if trauma was about the experience, then we'd be screwed because we can't change the past. We can't rewrite history. Right. It is about what's happening within us. And we do have the power to rewire that. And I think that is what's so uplifting. And you said that so beautifully. Oh, and it is, you. by the way, <laughs> it's tangent to completely agree with you on. I think it is <laughs> terrifying, but also I think it's a little liberating to just accept like you're, you're going to mess your kids up no matter yeah. how perfect you are. And that's okay. As long as you can keep coming in and communicating and repairing when there are ruptures like this, the better the communication is and the better you could support them physically, mentally, and, you know, emotionally, the less damage is going to be done. Like those things will happen. It's about healing those and yeah, giving them like the tools and the skills and the resilience to deal with that. 100% because otherwise it's such a terrifying way to live to like constantly be constantly be in fear of like, what's going to mess up your kids now. Like, you know, so then in terms of like, healing yourself and being there for yourself what are like some positive affirmations or ways that you can really talk to yourself to do that then yeah so where where to start with this like i'm not a huge fan of affirmations or positive you know like a oh my positive God, really mind. wait how come the world wants us to do affirmations all the time they like throw it at us 
A hundred percent. And I think it's just this thing that we're fed and we're like, I'm just going to do it. I'm going to keep repeating that I'm beautiful or I'm smart or whatever. And I think a lot of people are recognizing like, that's not working. And yeah. the reason that's not working is because of your nervous system. And the truth is that our story, our narrative, our mindset follows the state of our nervous system. And so if your nervous system is dysregulated, if you're in a fight or flight, if you're panicked, if you feel like you're not safe, you're not good enough, doesn't matter how many affirmations you tell yourself, that's not going to change the state of your nervous system. But if you can change the state of your nervous system first, get yourself into a regulated state, and then incorporate mindset work or affirmations, then those tools are incredibly powerful. It's just we're not being to- like told this step, right? There- there's this missing link of the nervous system that we're not being taught. And that's why so many of these like wellness tools are not mm-hmm. working for people. So it's not so much about what's the perfect affirmation or how do I be more positive? To me, that's not the work. To me, the work mm-hmm. is on one hand, learning to regulate your nervous system. And on the other hand, especially with what we just talked about, like that specific example, it's really being able to connect with yourself and be present with yourself, which means being present with your emotions. And emotions are not thoughts, they are sensations, they're feelings, they're in the body. And a lot of us don't have the capacity to do that. And so we need to be able to be with ourselves, with our emotions in order to then be able to kind of come back to little Connie, for example, and be like, oh, I see you, I'm, I'm feeling that, right? right? And then maybe there is something that she needs to hear in that moment, but before she needs to hear the perfect affirmation, she actually needs to be seen and validated by you, which is the experience that a lot of us didn't get right? Like a lot of us had really wonderful parents, but they just maybe didn't know how to make us feel seen and emotionally supported. Mm-hmm. And so often that's the experience we need to give to ourselves, not saying the perfect thing, but just being with ourselves, not trying to invalidate our own experience, not trying to like convince us out of being sad but being like, yeah, I see you. You're really freaking sad right now. You're not feeling good enough. I get that. So yeah, to me, there's those two components come together in order to be able to do that work of being with yourself or saying that thing that needs to be said. That actually really makes sense with how you describe it, because if you're going through something, your nervous system is not regulated and you try to just like say an affirmation or something, it's almost like gaslighting yourself. Like how are it you is gaslighting like yourself? I love that you said that. It is literally <laughs> gaslighting yourself. That is what, why I not a fan of like a positive mindset because it is gaslighting trying to tell yourself be positive when actually you're feeling a lot of pain whether that's pain from this situation or your past it's valid and you're trying to convince yourself out of it and that will never work how can you convince yourself out of something you know it's kind of like you have to be on your own side and like if, if you're if you're gonna be a teammate with someone, you can't be like against them. You can't be manipulating them. You can't do anything else but you know be on their team. I love how you said that actually, because so with all my clients, the first part of the work is always I call it befriending. You have to befriend oh, really? yourself. Yeah, you have to build a really strong relationship with yourself. This like deep understanding, which requires a lot of curiosity and a lot of compassion. Right, like curiosity about, oh, what is my nervous system doing? What is that emotion? Why did I react that way? Why did I get triggered? But then approaching all that curiosity and awareness with a lot of compassion 
which is, I think, again, to come back to our, you know, what I think your audience probably falls into that overachiever perfectionist, we struggle with that big time. The second we see something about ourselves that isn't perfect, I need to fix that. That's bad. Instead of like, oh, that makes so much sense, which it does. Yeah. And it's crazy because when we think about our friends, like we don't criticize or, you know, harshly judge our friends the way that we do ourselves. So it's like, why don't we like exactly like you said, befriend ourselves. What does befriending yourself look like every day though? Like in a day to day? Yeah. Let me give an example. I think, hmm, how do I explain this? I like that you said in a day to day, right? Not just like, what is the step-by-step process, but in a day to day. In a Yeah. Like I want to know what it looks like. Yeah. So let's say you're waking up and you're waking up and you're being a little, you're a little anxious. It doesn't make any sense, but you're waking up a little anxious and frazzled and like things aren't going right. A lot of times instantly we jump to what's wrong with me. My day is going bad, right? This like criticizing, shaming, or get it together. You need to work harder. Why aren't you doing enough? Why are you moping around? Instead of, so that's what most of us do. That is not yeah. being a good friend. Like you said, if your friend was having a tough morning, you would never act that way. Exactly. Right? And so being a friend to ourselves and befriending ourselves, that first phase, like I call it, of the work is, ooh, what's going on for me? What am I feeling in my body right now? Let's start there. What am I feeling? Or what, if you know a little bit about the nervous system, what state is, of, what state is my nervous system in right now? Or what are some emotions that are coming up for me? Or, you know, I got a little triggered. I got a little short with my partner. I didn't love that. But before judging it, like, where was that coming from? What's happening Mm. in me that that kind of came out that way, right? It's this, like, genuine curiosity. Like, you would have towards a friend of, like, why are you having a bad day? What's going on? You wouldn't just assume and start making all these assumptions and judgments, right? And so to me, that is the befriending of like, oh, what is going on? And then maybe bringing in some compassion of, yeah, that makes sense. I'm, we're struggling right now. Or, you know, taking a breath or giving yourself a moment. It doesn't have to be this like whole big self-care thing. Of, right. I'm going to call out of work or I'm going to go to yoga class. <laughs> it might just be like five minutes of, you know what? I'm going to need five minutes to slow down and I'm just going to sit here with my coffee and, and breathe. Just going to take a deep breath or I'm going to reach out to a friend for support. Like, again, it's just having that compassion. And so befriending, and then you continue through your day and maybe you get a little triggered or you get a little overwhelmed or you notice that you're being super critical with yourself. Every time those things happen, it's an opportunity to get curious and to have Mm. compassion. Just like you would with a really good friend that you love and respect and, and believe in. Right. It's like, oh, what's going on? And and what do you need? And how can I support you? To me, that's that befriending process. And in that process, what we learn to do is trust ourselves. And I think that is so important to kind of really not master, but get a handle on before we move on to the rest of the work, which is, you know, rewiring your nervous system, creating new programming, like all the stuff affirmations and these wellness tools promise to do. Mm -hmm. I believe that before we could jump into that, into creating change, we actually need to take time to really befriend ourselves and understand our triggers, our trauma responses, our emotions, even like the parts of ourselves we don't love, like that to me is befriending. And so to me, that's actually why I teach a lot about the nervous system first, because it gives kind of like a way to look at ourselves a little bit more objectively. If you teach people the three states of their nervous system, and then you encourage them, keep pausing throughout your day and just being like, what state am I in and how do I know? So 
How does my body feel? What are my thoughts doing, right? Like, what are my behaviors? Those are all clues for the state of your nervous system. And now you're observing yourself versus being completely engulfed in it and being like, this is just reality. Because it's not. When we're dysregulated, we have a different lens on the world and, and we don't see reality accurately. Can you actually go through the three stages of the nervous system or states of the nervous system again for anyone listening? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay, so our nervous system has these three states, like you said. One state is of safety, and then there's two states of dysregulation. I find this really valuable for people because most people think there's one state of dysregulation, right? Fight or flight. But actually, there's three. So the first state is the state of safety. This is where we feel present and grounded. This is where our body is functioning optimally, our metabolism, our productive organs, our immune system, right? Our prefrontal cortex is online, so we have access to creativity and executive functioning, decision-making, all these wonderful things that make us human. And most importantly, this state, which we call ventral vagal, is a state of connection. We stay safe through connection, meaning in this state, we are able to connect with other people, maybe higher power, but most importantly, we're able to connect with ourselves. We're able to be present and kind of have that perspective and observation. And in this state, like our body's working properly, right? Our mind is sharp. We also tend to have a relatively hopeful outlook on the world. Not like everything's perfect, but just it's good enough. I am safe enough and I could keep moving through challenges, I can do it, right? So there's just this sense of like stability, connection to yourself, self-trust. That's kind of that ventral vagal state. You're present, you're grounded, you're able to connect with other people and yourself. Now that's the state of safety. Now let's say something triggers us, right? So a trigger is a cue of danger. Something kind of makes our nervous system go on, on, on alert, on high alert. Let's say we're in the wild and we hear something in the bushes and our nervous system, like, okay, that might be a tiger or a wild animal, right? So as that happens, our nervous system picks up on that because it's always scanning for threat and it goes into the second state, which we call sympathetic, which most people know as fight or flight. Now in sympathetic, what starts to happen is your body is mobilizing to either run or fight the threat that it's assuming is coming because it assumes the threat is going to be to your physical danger. It doesn't think the threat is going to be an email from your boss, right? And so it starts to mobilize. So there is blood going to your muscles. Your breath gets a little more shallow. Your heart rate speeds up like your body's preparing to run or fight. And it has all this excess energy ready to go. Um, your prefrontal cortex starts to shut down. Anything in your body is not needed for survival. Immune system, reproductive organs, metabolism starts to shut down. It's not needed. You don't need to digest your lunch if you might get eaten by a tiger, right? So that's that second state of fight or flight. Basically, we are staying safe by mobilizing a lot of energy. If you've ever you know, had a lot of stressors happening and suddenly you feel all this anxiety, that is all that mobilizing energy. Your body wants to fight a tiger and you're just trying to sit there and be still. Right? That's why that feels so uncomfortable. Now, if these threats don't go away, or if these threats keep accumulating, like your nervous system keeps picking up on more and more and it's not getting resolved, eventually your nervous system might go into the third state. Think of this as like a ladder. The first one at the top, then in the middle, now we're going to the bottom. And now, so your nervous system might fall into the third state, which is the second state of dysregulation, which we call dorsal vagal, which is a state of immobilization. So we're staying safe by immobilizing. So if that tiger did run out, start chasing you and you were fighting and it finally caught you, your nervous system's only option 
is to go inward, basically become immobilized, almost like animals when they play dead, right? And so your body is shutting down. You are disconnecting from your emotions, disconnecting, withdrawing. You almost feel like you're watching yourself. Um, your body is preparing for death. And so it wants to not feel pain or it's assuming, Hey, if we could play dead, maybe that tiger will drop us and then we could run. And so in this state, we feel really shut down, really exhausted, really withdrawn. We're numbing. You know, if you've ever been on Instagram for like an hour and you're like, where did the time go? Like what just happened? I, I don't know where I went, just completely disconnected and dissociated. That's dorsal. If you've ever felt completely exhausted and you're like, I, I can't even look at anyone. I can't connect. I can't answer this email. Like I can't do it. That's dorsal. In dorsal, we feel completely disconnected from other people, from ourselves, right? And by the way, in both states of survival, we our prefrontal cortex is not online. So creativity, problem solving, not online, not available. Connection to other people, not really available. So those are the three states of the nervous system. And so that is, in the beginning, how I... I ask people to start befriending themselves of getting curious. So like, which state am I in? Mm. And how do I know what's happening in my body? What's happening in my mind? That is a cue that my nervous system is in this state. When you're, how quick can you switch from state to state? I'm just curious if there's like an- Very sort quick, of, within seconds. Is is it possible to go to from that third, like the dorsal ventral, is it? Dorsal vagal? Dorsal vagal, mm-hmm dorsal vagal straight to safety is that possible or does it have to go Not exactly we actually move through the ladder you're absolutely right it, but you it, can move it. through very quickly so you might go from dorsal and immobilized to getting like a spark of energy and like a little bit of like okay i gotta get shit done and then you could be back up in ventral okay and is the idea of having a healthy regulated uh, nervous system then like not ever letting yourself get to that or is it more about like if you ever find yourself in dorsal vagal that you can as quickly as you can get back to the safety. So a healthy nervous system is just a nervous system that has flexibility that doesn't get Ah. stuck in any of the states. So none of the states are bad. You not having your survival states would be the worst thing that would happen to you. You need them. Mm. They keep you safe. Right. And so it's just a matter of having flexibility so that if you do go into dorsal, which we sometimes do, sometimes I find myself in dorsal after a long day, that's my nervous system pulling the emergency brake. It's like, whoa, you went too far. We need to recuperate some energy. It's not a bad thing, but that could feel really scary if you don't know how to get out of that. Right. So a nervous mm-hmm. system getting stuck in dorsal is what we typically call depression or st- getting stuck in sympathetic is general anxiety disorder. Right. And so the goal is to have flexibility to move through these states and have control and use them appropriately. You know, it's really interesting hearing you talking about these states because I thought I knew what state I was in and now I don't know. Um, so I think, you know, talking about safety and all this is actually a good segue into us talking about burnout and senioritis and things because I was talking to Masha a little bit off air and I realized I think I'm actually burned out, you guys. Like I I thought burnout this whole time when I was talking about it, I thought it was this big dramatic thing where you like I don't know what I thought it was. I just didn't really recognize it in myself until recently I realized like, oh, like a lot of times I wake up and I just wish I could disappear, swallow into a hole. Um, I like feel like whenever I see an important email come through and I know it's important, I still can't get myself to answer it. I find myself like really struggling to get to school. Um, I don't want anyone to be concerned, but <laughs> I, I, I just realized, you know, that's bur- that's how burnout is showing up for me. Um, and so I texted Masha about this and I was like, why do I feel like this? Because it's kind of scaring me that I'm like this. Cause I know that's not like the Connie I know is like sharp with it. So if you could kind of go into then like, what's when it comes to the States then and being burnt out and senioritis, all of that. 
Yeah. Yes. And I have a lot of clients who are graduating this year and I've, I've had the same conversation really? to be honest. So it totally makes sense. So when we go into burnout through the nervous system lens, it's basically our nervous system going into that dorsal state. It's like, okay. it's too much. We're overwhelmed. Either we just need to recuperate energy. Like we, we just can't keep going at this rate anymore, right? You can't live in that sympathetic. It's going to take a major toll on your body. Not that being in dorsal doesn't, it does, but at least you're like conserving energy when you're in dorsal, mm-hmm. right? So the physical, mental, and emotional exhaustion. So yeah, that's you getting kind of falling into dorsal. And what I've noticed, and I'm curious if this is true for you with the clients that I'm kind of thinking of right now, they were in that sympathetic state for way too long, for years, right? That's, that's what grad school tends to be for a lot of people. And so I noticed that as soon as they got past, like they could see the finish line, they know they're going to get to it. I see their nervous system drop down to dorsal. It's like, okay. And that's it. We can't do it anymore. It's like pulling the emergency brake of like, we can't go at this pace. Now we need to recuperate because this was way too much. I see. And that like makes a lot of sense too. And why, like, because that's exactly what it was. I, so for some context, I took my last licensure exam and I, I thought I was dorsal then. I, I, maybe I was because I was so stressed about it. And I was like, I can't wait to get to that. Once I pass, like the rest of my life is going to be great, which like I know from our previous conversation, that's not how it's supposed to be. But like, I just needed to incentivize myself to get there. So yeah. anyways, I was just like, Connie, just make it through CDCA, just pass. And then everyone knows I passed. And I thought like, great, my life is going to go back to normal only the sky's the limit from here and it was after i passed cdca which has been almost a month now i have just been in this like funk of being like i can see the finish line and it's almost like i'm like okay well i i know we can get there um and it's kind of tough because i'm now i'm like interviewing for jobs and i'm at a time where i have to be like very on and like selling myself almost like i have to like not convince because convince makes it seem contrived but like you know when i'm on these job interviews i have to convince them that like i'm this like i'm like ready to go i'm excited i'm passionate all of that when inside i kind of feel like very meh Does yeah that, make sense? that makes complete sense and that's exactly what it is it's like you want to go into that interview in your ventral state right where yes. you feel really empowered really present really grounded they could really get to know who you are because by the way like who we really are is who we are in ventral when we're in sympathetic or dorsal, we have a lens on the world. And that lens makes sense, right? Because if a tiger's chasing you, you don't want to be like, you know, flowers and butterflies and like, everything's amazing. And I believe in myself. It's like, no, you want to be like, keep running. Yeah. Put your ass out and keep running. Right. So we need that kind of like critical lens when we're in those states, but that those lenses don't really serve us in these situations when you're in dorsal and you're like, Oh, I, I want to be in ventral to show up for them so they could really see who I am. But my right. nervous system is just so shut down right now that I feel like I can't access that part of me. It's kind of confusing though, because I thought that when I got to this point that, so, uh, is, is ventral the safety one again? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. I thought when I got here, like, I could totally take off a week if I wanted to. Like, I have the time now. And so I thought that that would equate me having this time and freedom and my requirements being done, my licensure being done. I'm like a free bird right now. I thought that would equate to feeling safe. Um, but, like, so then, like, where's the disconnect going? Because if I am safe, if I'm, if everything's fine, then why do I feel like this? Yeah, that's a really great question. Safety is an embodied experience, right? It's actually not about the external. Don't get me wrong. 
when there is a physical danger happening, like a tiger, yes, that's one thing. But other than that, like in our modern day world, like even in school, as stressful as it was, you were safe, Mm -hmm. right? But it didn't feel that way. Your nervous system was constantly activated by these like chronic low level stressors. Like your nervous system kept thinking there's actual tigers when it was maybe assignments or exams or things like that. Right. Mm -hmm. And so the disconnect is that we need to cultivate safety from within. We need to learn to regulate our nervous systems as we're moving through the modern world, because our nervous system is not really created for this world. It's created for tigers. And so it doesn't really know what to do. Like, yeah, your exams might be over and you might be done, but your nervous system didn't get that message. It still thinks the tigers are there and it's just getting overwhelmed. Right. And so this is where regulating the nervous system comes in. It's kind of helping the nervous system understand, no, we're actually safe and that's going to take time. And when, you know, burnout adds this extra layer, when burnout happens, now it does take extensive time to come back to ventral because there was a lot of damage done because we're meant to be in that sympathetic state for very short bursts of time. But at least from what I hear from grad students, you guys are living in that for years. It's like and our norm. That it's that like all I know. Damage is, you know, it's it's unrealistic. This this goes to a topic that we talked about briefly off air too. Is just that all I know is achieving and having motivations and inspirations based off of fear and shame almost because it's like, oh, that deadline is due. Oh, I don't want to be the only one that fails this. Like since those factors are now about to leave my life. How do you then find motivation as like a grown adult that doesn't have tests and assignments and someone looming over you anymore? I think this is like the million dollar question. And I think this is, <laughs> this is what a lot of people I think who are graduating grad school or like really kind of in the middle of their careers are struggling with right now. It's like, I only know how to motivate myself when there's like chaos, stress, when I'm super hard on myself and there's a lot of fear when I'm shaming myself. And if I don't want to do that anymore, could I still be successful? And what does that actually look like? Right. Cause I think a lot of people feel like if I'm not constantly shaming myself and constantly like in fear of something bad happening, then I'm just going to be like a lazy couch potato and I'm just not going to do anything. And so then they start creating that chaos and stress in order to kind of like light that fire under themselves because they don't know how to motivate themselves from a more ventral place. If you want to think about it in the nervous system, it's like, you know how to motivate yourself from a sympathetic place. Like, You know how to put yourself into sympathetic from all these external threats. And then it's like, once you're there, you have all this mobilizing energy and you know how to use it and direct it into your career. Right. Yeah. But if you don't want to live there anymore, it's like, well, how do I, could that still be possible? Would I still be motivated and take action? And the truth is yes, you could absolutely motivate yourself from a more ventral place. But that drive is going to feel a little different. It's not going to feel as extreme. It's not going to feel as exciting. It's going to be more gradual. It's going to come more from a place of feeling worthy Mm. and knowing that you're powerful and feeling excited and using your creativity. It's like, it's going to come from a place of like really knowing yourself, knowing what's really important to you and allowing that to drive you versus being driven by fear. It's kind of like the difference. Sometimes visually it helps me to think about it of when we're being motivated from a sympathetic place, we're like running from something. We're afraid of that tiger and we're running Uh from that tiger. And it's like, we're like just that way. We're just going. Right. And I think that's a lot of what grad school tends to be Yeah, when we're trying to motivate ourselves from a ventral place. It's I'm running towards something. 
that gets me yeah. excited. That feels true to me. That is aligned with my values. That is aligned with the future I imagine for myself. Right. And I am moving towards that. I am not running from something. So you might move a little slower because there is no tiger behind you, but hopefully that vision, that thing you have that you're looking forward to is powerful enough and is aligned enough with who you are and excites you enough to get you to consistently make movement right now. Here's the struggle. I find that again, let's tie this back to, we're talking about overachievers, right? And overachievers across the board tend to, whether they realize it or not, have a look like a sense of like low self-worth. They, they yes. tend to not feel good enough. They tend to feel like they always need to do more. Right. And if at the foundation, we feel like we're just not good enough. That also means we kind of don't trust ourselves. Like you don't think very highly of yourself in a way. And I know that's might sound surprising because all of us high achievers, like I'm so capable. I know that if I'm in a high stress situation, I got it. But there's also this kind of like underlying belief that if I'm not in a high stress situation, I'm just going to be like a lazy couch potato. I'm, I'm not even going to do anything. Like I can't trust myself. Right. So there's also the conversation around like building that sense of self-worth and then building that self-trust to know that once I get really clear in that vision, that mission, that's going to drive me, I trust myself enough to keep moving towards it. Even if there isn't a tiger chasing me. And a lot of us don't trust ourselves to do that because we struggle with self-worth. This brings up another point, like in terms of tying with self-worth that I think about where like just now we were talking about how like, oh, like hopefully you'll have, you know, still the alignment and the drive to get there, even though it might take slower. Me being the high achievement self, I'm always like, why can't I get there faster? And I feel like a thought that's been in my mind recently um, and I haven't expressed this to anyone really. It's just the fact that I'm like 27, which is like a baby to a lot of people I know, but in my head, and I think it's society, I have this self-opposed, self-imposed clock being like, oh, well, like you have to be successful under the age of 30 or else then you're not like, then it's like, oh, you're not good enough. Like in my head, I'm like, I have to achieve everything before 30 because like for some reason it'll mean more to me before this arbitrary age. What's that coming from? It all ties back to that, to that state of the nervous system. If you're unsympathetic, it's always going to feel like I don't have enough time. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough anything. Cause again, think about what sympathetic is from like a survival standpoint, you're being chased by a tiger, right? Mm -hmm. And when you're being chased by a tiger, it's never enough. It's not enough food. It's not enough shelter. It's not enough safety. Right. And that makes complete sense if you're being chased by a tiger. So when we're living in that sympathetic state, which again, if we're being honest, most of us are living in that because we feel like we have to be living in that. Right. Well, then it's difficult to understand how to move forward. Yeah. Right. And so we're constantly thinking, okay, I'm not good enough. And we're thinking, oh, it's because I'm actually not good enough. It's because I actually haven't achieved enough in my life. When in reality, it's because your nervous system is in a sympathetic state. And in that sympathetic state, that is what your thoughts will be. Remember, story follows the state. So as long as you're in sympathetic, it will always not feel like enough. It won't feel like enough safety. It won't feel like enough money. It won't feel like enough time. It won't feel like enough achievements. That's just a byproduct of being in sympathetic and it's connected to that trauma response, right? Again, that's how your nervous system learned to survive. Never think you're good enough. Never think it's enough. Always raise the bar. Right. And so there's that component of it. And I think the other component of it that we've kind of spoken about, and it's very interconnected, but I want to call it out because it might seem different. A lot of us think that once we get the external thing, we're going to feel differently internally, right? And that's why our focus is all about fixing the external. Like if I got the achievements by 30, if I had more of this, if I did more of that, 
then blank. Because at the end of the day, an emotion is the end point of any experience. Anything we do, we're hoping for some kind of emotion. And a lot of us, especially overachievers, are thinking that if we have certain achievements, we will feel differently. And mm -hmm. that is the biggest lie of all. You could have all the achievements in the world and feel exactly the same. And we all know those people. We've all spoken to them. We see in celebrities, right? The reality is those external achievements will not make you feel more worthy or it will not make you feel good enough. And so there's a little bit of that happening as well. That totally makes sense. I feel like the key thing here is like the story follows the state. Like I, that, that totally... Th like that really hits it on the head. And I feel like that explains why sometimes or things that I've done where I can pinpoint like I was doing it to feel a certain way, not to do the thing. Like when I was in yes. pharmacy school and I signed up to be president of all these clubs, it was so that I could feel worthy enough and all of that. So then making decisions from that ventral state, how? <laughs> So or, or first, I guess how to get to that ventral state is more the question. Like, yeah, how to get well, that's the thing. It's about learning to get to that ventral state, learning the states of your nervous system, learning how to move your body through those states. And this is basically what I teach because it's very unique to each individual. If we had mm. to like summarize it, we could, right? Like the spark notes version of it is that if you're in a dorsal state and you want to start moving up that ladder, you need to think about what would give me a gentle return to energy. How do I start coming back into my body? How do I start cultivating a little bit of energy? Because doing too much when you're in dorsal will send you deeper into dorsal. So if you're feeling really bad about yourself and down and like all those negative critical thoughts, which they will, dorsal is often a story of disempowerment, of hopelessness, of shame, right? In that state, we often go to, I just need to get my ass up and go for a run, or I need to go fix this thing, which only makes us more dorsal. So it's a gentle return to energy. It's doing small things like sitting up, changing your posture, making yourself a cup of tea. And again, this is where it's like understanding your nervous system. And what are these small things that have to do with your senses, with your breath to start to come back into the body. And that takes work and practice. Remember, that's where I said that befriending is just the right. first phase. And I really give it time because it's really important to build out your own toolkit, right? Now, let's say you did, and now you're in sympathetic. You still got one more step to move. And so right. if you're in sympathetic, the answer is a safe release of energy. In sympathetic, you have too much mobilizing energy. Your body wants to fight a tiger, and you're trying to sit there and like do an assignment or finish a work project, right? And so the best thing we can do in those moments is what would be a safe release of energy? Getting up, jumping, dancing, going for a walk breathing exercises, you actually physically need to move energy out of your body. Notice all the things I'm talking about are not changing your mindset. We're actually mm -hmm. acknowledging our mindset just as like, Ooh, that's a sign of the state I'm in. Now, what do I do with my body? What action steps do I take to start to move up that ladder? And so that's the work of coming back into ventral. And then, like you said, once you're in ventral, you could go after your goals from this healthier place. And I know a lot of us struggle to believe like I could be successful if I'm not constantly in that sympathetic place. But I also think all of us have had that experience of when you feel really grounded and present and ventral and you're excited and you're creative and you're like, wow, I know I could do this. And you're not even like panicked about it. You're like, of course I can do this. And you're excited and ideas are coming. Like that's you in ventral. And imagine you lived more in that state. You'd be more successful not less successful. And I think we struggle with that because so many of us became successful 
by being in sympathetic. And we're like, well, if that's my experience, that must be the only way. Just had a session with a client who is really, really successful. And she's kind of coming up against that. Like she built something incredible from that sympathetic hustle energy. But now she's realizing its limitations and she's like, this isn't working anymore. I'm drained. I don't feel like I'm the parent I want to be. My relationship isn't where I want it to be. I need a different way of doing this. Right. And it's like now learning to believe that once you get into ventral, you could be even more powerful, even more impactful than you were in the past. Like you had to do that in the past. You had to hustle because that was the only toolkit you had, right? You had the hammer. You had to use the hammer. And so you did it and you thrived and you killed it. But now you're probably at a point where you're like, wait, I have more tools at my disposal. Maybe I haven't learned them all. Maybe I need to obtain them and learn to use them. But there are other ways. And if I use the full toolbox, I could be even more successful. Like if you got this far just using that hammer, like imagine what's possible now. Right. Or it's almost like if you got this far in spite of like only having a hammer, basically, in spite of it. <laughs> like Exactly. That's exactly it. So all of this, like if I could summarize where I'm kind of like getting with this is this isn't so much about wellness and well-being. I know you and I were talking about this. Yeah. This is more about getting yourself into a more regulated place. And once you're in that regulated place, using all these tools that could make you even more effective, even more productive, even more creative so that you could do less, but achieve more. Do you find that when you internally achieve more that you start to externally achieve more also? A hundred percent. I actually, the, the new program that I'm creating, I the tagline for it is like inner work for outer success because that is my belief, right? I think a lot of us are trying to fix internal problems with external solutions, internal problem, not feeling good enough, not feeling worthy, not being happy. And we're trying to fix it with external solutions. And you just can't fill that internal void with that. It feels like a bottomless pit. More achievements doesn't feel like more, right? And so, but the reverse is true. When you start addressing the internal, when you start feeling better about yourself, when you trust yourself, when you have compassion for yourself, um, when you fully understand yourself and feel empowered, everything else gets so much easier, right? It's so much easier to go after your goals. It's so much easier to be a loving partner or parent. Everything just takes less effort. And so that energy that you were using to hate on yourself or to criticize yourself or to deal with your anxiety, now you get to use that energy to move forward. And so there's just a lot more flow and ease. And so I fully believe that that inner work, changing internally, achieving internally, does create external results. You just have more energy to put towards the things that matter. Because I think a lot of what high achievers don't realize is how much energy we put into shaming ourselves, dealing with the anxiety, dealing with the stress, right? Like the constant ups and downs, that takes a lot of energy. And it's just being wasted. That's that's such a good reflection, actually, of like what I've been going through, because I feel like with my burnout. So in the past, when I've been in like ventral states, maybe I had a really great idea and I happened to be like drinking a cup of coffee or at a certain coffee shop or something like that's when I happened to be at a ventral state. And I remembered that. So recently, when I've been burnt out in my dorsal state, I keep trying to get back to that place. So I keep having an extra cup of coffee, going to that coffee shop again in hopes of being like, okay, like when's it going to happen? When's the magical lightning bolt going to hit? and then the thing happens and then good things happen and now that I'm having this conversation with you I'm like oh it was never going to come because my state was not like reflective of that yes 
hundred percent. And it's like, maybe in the past, that moment in the coffee shop was doing something for your nervous system. And then you had that, but it sounds like your nervous system needs a little more support and just going to the coffee shop is not changing your state. And so once you change the state, the ideas will come. It's just like, maybe the tool that was working then just isn't working anymore. Because like you said, you're in a very different place and you're kind of feeling the weight of living in that sympathetic state for a while. And so your nervous system may need a little extra support and nourishment. And I would kind of add, I think one thing it needs, I'm just going to call this out, is probably a little bit of like compassion and understanding from you that maybe you can't be right now, like the version of yourself that has all the ideas and is doing and hustling. Maybe right now you need to just like have some compassion for yourself. Maybe right now what I need is to slow down, maybe to not have any ideas, like maybe to give myself the space to just be instead of always expecting myself to be producing and doing. That's like scary for someone that bases so much of their identity off of being in that, like in that certain state. Like how do you handle clients that like, oh, but my identity is being like in a sympathetic state. This is to me that process of befriending because it's it's starting to get to know yourself outside of that, of like, who are you outside of that sympathetic state? Like, what is it that really makes you worthy and valuable, right? This is where it comes back to how do we start to rebuild that sense of like worthiness? And to me, it starts with A, starting to understand yourself in these different ways, your emotions, the different states, the different things that happen to you, and then starting to have compassion for them and starting to see them as maybe like valuable, like, wow, that was really impressive that I got through that, right? And as you kind of move from that compassion, you start to almost move into a state of like a little bit of like appreciation of like, wow, that's really impressive and be impressed with yourself and start to like actually like yourself, not for what you achieve, but for who you are, what you've been through. Does that make sense? And like from there, you slowly start to build to, okay, maybe I don't necessarily need the constant achievements to feel good about myself. Maybe those achievements could just be bonuses because I already feel so good. And because I have so much energy, I'm just going to keep going and creating more. That totally makes sense. And I'm kind of bummed that all these $6 lattes were never going to fix me. I'm like, this coffee shop man really profited off of me being in my dorsal state. I'm like, damn it. But um, that totally makes sense. And it makes me so excited then for everyone that's going to be in your group program. So tell the audience a little bit about the, the group program and like what you have in store with that. Yes, I actually, well, I guess by the time this airs, it'll probably be released. But this is my first time Yay! talking about it, which is really, really fun. Um, so the program that I'm starting, so I tend to work mostly with one-on-one, but I'm, I've been working for a while and creating a group program, right? A, to make it more accessible because the people I work with tend to a lot of times be students or people earlier in their careers, but also because I've just come to realize that the community element is so important. I so often work with high achievers who are so hard on themselves and they're like, oh, it's just me. What's wrong with me? Not realizing it's like, there is nothing wrong with you. You make so much sense. And there's so many other people going through the same thing. And it's easy for them to have compassion for others, just hard for themselves. And so when you're doing that work together, I think it's really beautiful. So I'm starting this group program. It's going to be six months and we're going to be working one-on-one and in group on finding a new way to create success, like learning a different process, right? I call it the mind body recalibration formula because it's really recalibrating yourself for success that feels as good as it looks in all areas Mm. of life. And I think that requires a very different approach than 
you know, those of us like you and I overachieve as perfectionists are used to. And so it's really like doing that inner work. So you could start to create that outer success, really getting to know yourself, learning to regulate your nervous system, your emotions, and then starting to do the work of rewiring these things, right? So rewiring your nervous system, rewiring your beliefs, all of those things. And then, you know, the most important part is integrating that back into your life, because I find that that's the part that people really struggle with. A lot of us are like doing the things, but we're not actually integrating it into our life and our goals. And so it just feels very separate, right? And so I find that the missing link between all of that is the nervous system. The nervous system is kind of the missing link between success and well-being. It connects the two and it makes us realize that it's possible to be successful and well, successful and happy. We don't actually need to choose one. It's just, we haven't been taught about this missing link and how to regulate our nervous system and how to rewire our nervous systems and our belief systems and how to integrate that back into our goals. So we could still continue being super ambitious because that's a part of who we are. Like, that's what you've been saying to me this whole time. You're like, this is a part of who I am. I don't want to lose that. And so this is about enhancing that versus losing that or giving that up. And so, yeah, the group program, it's going to the first round is going to start in May, but it's actually going to be rolling. Um, that first cohort is just going to have like a founder's rate and some founder's bonuses, but it's going to be ongoing. I'm super, super excited. If I actually, I didn't even mention this to you. I was going to offer that if anyone did want to, is curious about the program, is curious about what's happening with their nervous system, if this could actually be helpful to them. I'm super excited to be able to offer a session at a discounted rate. I'll, with a discount code of Connie. I'm going to make it Connie. Yes. Oh, I um, love that. Yeah. And so if they ever wanted to do that, it's just going to be $97. So really big discount to the session. And so if someone wanted a nervous system audit to understand themselves, to understand this could be a good fit, I would be honored to support them. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited. Just hearing you talk about it. I mean, your passion for it is so infectious, but you know, from like a high achiever perspective too, I'm like, wow, there's like potential for like success. that doesn't feel like this. It doesn't feel that crappy. I'm like, it can exist. Um, can you actually go into a little yeah. bit about like the format of how it's one-on-one -on -one and group? Yeah, yes, absolutely. So the way I'm kind of envisioning it, because I love one-on-one -on -one work and I think there is a certain depth to one-on-one -on -one work. And so I wanted to incorporate a little bit of that. And so there's going to be two one-on-one -on -one sessions and that could be used throughout the work. But outside of that, over the six months, it's going to be live trainings and then group coaching calls. So every two weeks, we're going to have training. So I'm going to teach you about the nervous system, like all the things we're talking about. We're going to, I'm going to be teaching that on these live calls that are going to be saved and you could rewatch them in your portal and then do Q and A's. And then we're going to have a group coaching call every month where everyone's going to be able to come on and do like a hot seat coaching. Basically everyone does coaching and you get to watch other people, which I find so honestly is really, really powerful because you start to see a lot of yourself in them, but you have uh -huh. compassion for them. And towards the end, you're like, wait, if I feel so compassionately towards them, maybe I need to think about myself a little differently. And so I love those group coaching calls. They're so, so powerful. And so that's going to be the combination. We're going to have weekly accountability check-ins through a Facebook group, a community, and the way I've kind of structured that six months, because sometimes people are like, well, six months is long. Six months is what it takes to reprogram your nervous system, right? Like that's really a minimum. And again, as high achievers, like I want it really quick, but I'm not going to give that because we're not trying to give a quick fix here. 
right? And so we're going to spend the first two months befriending ourselves, then two months rewiring, and then two months integrating this back into your goals and into your life. And so that's kind of the structure of the program and kind of why I set it up that way. Oh my gosh. Everything like makes so much sense is because it's, you're right. Like, like from everything you've told me, it's not something that you can do a quick fix. Anyone that's telling you that they have a quick fix solution, that's not really getting to, you know, change your states and understand regulating your states and all of that. And it's almost feeding that same pattern, right? Like the overachiever and perfectionist in us wants everything quick and instantly and is not feeling good enough unless they know everything. And it's like, I don't want to feed that pattern. I want yeah. to slow you down in a very structured way of like, we're not doing that anymore. At the very least, maybe we could try doing this differently. And if maybe you have a positive experience of going slowly with this goal, it's going to be that much easier to go back out into your life and be like, wait, I went slowly and I built up and it worked. Maybe I could apply this elsewhere. Hence why it is like a formula or a process that I want you to learn in the actual experience and through the trainings, if that makes sense. Totally. Oh my gosh, I am so excited. I just so everyone knows, I will be signing up for this. So I am like so excited. I mean, like, it's one thing to like be able to, you know, see your posts, but like it's it's a whole nother thing being able to speak with you, Masha, and now being able to be a part of like the one-on-one and the group session. Like I'm just so excited to experience the group session. So I cannot wait. Um, let everyone know where they can find you on Instagram, social media, all of that good stuff. Yes. So I'm mostly active on Instagram and on Instagram, I'm Masha K. So M-A-S-H-A-K-A-Y. Um, on TikTok, I'm trying to be more active. I'm coach Masha K. Same spelling as Masha K. You could definitely find me there. If anyone has any questions, please reach out. I love when people ask questions. It's so helpful to me. So go in my DMs. Please ask all the questions. I love that. And I'm going to give you a link for the session in the group program because I have not even released it on my Instagram yet. But yeah, please find me there, guys. Ask lots of questions. That's just my favorite thing in the world. <laughs> awesome well thank you so much for your time masha again this will obviously not be your last time here we will be having you back at some point of course <laughs> please i this is so much fun truly this conversation has already made my day oh same here oh my gosh we fixed our bad days <laughs> we really did i'm like coming out of this like, you know what not so bad truly yeah yeah like not a bad day um well thank you so much for you guys for listening i hope you guys vote and i'll see you guys next week Bye.